the dispute between our Koch group and the Danish group from the Geological University here in Copenhagen was mainly because they accused each other for not handling things in a scientific way. So therefore there was simply iron curtain between the West and the East in Greenland for a period of nearly 20 years. Welcome to Polar Podcasts, where you'll hear stories from geologists who've spent their careers, their lives, exploring and studying the remarkable and remote geology of Greenland. Why did they become fascinated with Greenland? What were the problems and the discoveries that drove them? And what was it like working in these remote places, where few people venture, even now? I'm Julie Holtz. In this episode, we hear more from Nils Henriksen, Emeritus Senior Scientist at the Geological Survey of Denmark and Greenland, about the late 1960s, when the survey embarked on an ambitious and very successful campaign of systematic geological mapping in remote East Greenland, a completely different undertaking from their work on the West Coast. In 1967, we started uh, to work in East Greenland, Besides the work we have done up to that time, that was mainly concentrated on West Greenland, a little bit in North Greenland. Up to that time, we didn't work in East Greenland. The reason for that was that some previous geologists working in North and East Greenland have been doing a preliminary work there. The group was led by a geologist called Lauke Koch, the former polar explorer, and he was the first who ever did both topographical and geological mapping in the northern part of North Greenland. He started there as a very young man, about 1920. In the early 30s, he started also to work in the northern part of northeast Greenland. He was a very successful polar explorer, and uh, he got a lot of money from the Danish state to do part of the work in East Greenland. At that time, there was a dispute between the Danes and Norwegians about North Greenland, whose territory that was. The Norwegians claimed uh, that they had the right to part of North East Greenland. There was an international process in Hague in 1933, and because Lauke Koch already at that time had done a lot of work, then it was finally decided by the international court that North East Greenland belonged to Denmark. After this decision in the international court, Lauke Koch was allowed a lot of money from the Danish state, so he started general systematic mapping in the northern part of East Greenland. This continued after the Second World War. Unfortunately, there was a dispute between the Lauke Koch group and the Danish geologists uh, who have previously been working in West Greenland. They came from Copenhagen University and from the Geological Museum. The dispute between Lauke Koch group and the Danish group from the Geological University in Copenhagen was mainly because they accused each other for not handling things correctly in a scientific way. Therefore, there was simply iron curtain between the West and the East in, in Greenland for a period of nearly 20 years. This meant that GGU, GGU, the Geological Survey of Greenland, didn't get a possibility to work in East Greenland because this was already being included in the Lauke Koch group's work. 
1958, Lauke Koch didn't get his allowances from the Danish state prolonged. There was a dispute between him and the minister for Greenland, and therefore they simply closed the money for him, and this meant their uh, investigations stopped. They had at that time already quite a lot of information about the central part of East Greenland from the 72 north where we had an airport called Mestersvig and then up to about 78 north which is about 500-600 kilometers further north. Dr. Koki died in 1964 and after his death then negotiations started again between the Greenland geologists, mainly represented by the people from the Copenhagen University, the Greenland Geological Survey, and part of the people from, from the Geological Museum. It was decided that GKU should continue work in East Greenland to succeed what was done by the Lauke Kopju group previously. And this meant that from 1967 it was possible for GKU to start work in East Greenland. Stuart, one of my colleagues, Stuart Watt, who started working with the Geological Survey of Greenland in 1958. And myself got the possibility to make the first small reconnaissance uh, job in central East Greenland in a large fjord region called Scorsby There we went with a small boat, Jutte, around in the fjord for one and a half months, going all around the area simply to give us a possibility to learn a bit about the practical situation with the deep fjords and the long distances and the high mountains and lots of icebergs. It was a completely different situation from the work we were used to in West Greenland. So in that summer, one and a half months, Stuart and I covered the whole of the Scorsby Sun region, sailing around in a small motorboat where we could only be four people. There was a skipper and a Greenlander who was our general assistant and then the two geologists, Stuart and myself. We made a reconnaissance sailing around the fjord, which was in an east-west dimension, 250 kilometers in west and about 150 kilometers in north-south direction. The mountains there are up to nearly three kilometers in height, so it's very different from West Greenland. And there's lots of glaciers and there's lots of icebergs in the fjords. It's fantastically spectacular, and the situation in East Greenland is weather-wise very different from West Greenland. The low pressure, which is very frequent uh, passing West Greenland, is not nearly as frequent in the East. Therefore, you have uh, very frequently very fine weather during the whole season, which means that you could work there full-time. And, of course, you know to the north of 70 uh, north. Uh, which is the southern river, the Scorsby Zone region. We have daylight 24 hours a day or through the summer. After the first reconnaissance in 1967, we got agreement on that we should start a complete new project, which should be a five-year project based on sending out a large expedition group with geologists and people supporting the geologists and be supported with helicopters. We got money for that which was more or less doubling the TGU project. All the work we had in West Greenland is continued unlimited as it was before, and we got a new sum of money which allowed us to start the work in, in the East Coast. We got money enough to hire a polar ship, icebreaker type, which was equipped with two helicopter platforms. So we had a ship with two small helicopters, and we took the expedition group, 
with everybody, all participants on board the ship and sailed across to East Greenland over the Atlantic. And then we worked in the fjords for one and a half months, nearly two months, with the ship staying there as a floating base for us. The two helicopters, they were supporting people in the inland area, which was people working in the crystalline rocks. That is, the igneous and metamorphic rocks. And in the same time, there was a group of people working in the so-called Jameson Land area, which is a sedimentary sequence of Mesozoic deposits and sediments. These are sedimentary rocks formed between about 250 and 66 million years ago. So that was a very efficient and effective way to work because we always had the base with us just outside the working area. So the flying time with the helicopters from the ship into the working areas were usually less than 20 minutes to half an hour. So it was very short distances. And then, of course, it was very convenient with, with the ship because you had all your equipment and everything which was necessary for the field camps. The field work was more or less the same routine as we have used in the West Coast. Geologists were working in two-man camps and they were shifted with intervals between five and eight days. Every time they had uh, visits by the helicopters, they got what we call reconnaissance hours, which meant that they could fly around in their own areas visiting points or areas which were difficult to access. In the Jameson Land area where the sedimentologists worked, it was easy ground because they could walk more or less all over, whereas in the inner part of the fjord it was high and mountainous and lots of glaciers and therefore it was necessary to have the helicopters to lift you around. The geologists who took part in this work in central East Greenland in the Scorsby Sund region were divided in two groups. One were the people working in the inland areas with crystalline rocks, and they were more or less people who, uh, apart from old hands from West Greenland, they were people which was contacted via our former connections with geologists in Switzerland, from universities in Zurich, Basel, Bern, Lausanne, and from some British universities. And in contrast to that, we had a complete different situation in the sediment areas, because there we started to establish a connection with a group at the Institute for Historical Geology and Paleontology in at Copenhagen University. That was led by Professor Tove Birkelund, who previously had worked with GEU in Central West Greenland in the Nuxuak region. She was a student of Professor Rosenkrantz who at the same time had personal experience from his early work in East Greenland, so he knew a lot about what was necessary to be prepared to work within East Greenland. Tor Birkel got a group of paleontologists and stratigraphers, mainly Danes. They were mainly older, elder students who worked for, for her at the university, and many of them finished their work in a few years after they started and got their PhDs. So all the names we put on, on this group today are Danish names who are making the nucleo of what is Copenhagen University today in paleontology and sedimentology. Whereas the people who are working with the crystalline rocks are mainly associated with a group who, who worked in West Greenland. But in East Greenland, the geology of the crystalline areas is very much different from, from 
West Greenland because in East Greenland it's part of the Caledonian Fold Belt. The Caledonian Fold Belt is an ancient mountain range formed about 400 million years ago when Scandinavia and East Greenland collided. The Caledonian Fold Belt is very much younger than any of the crystalline areas which Kikiu had mapped in West Greenland. After we have finished the first year with the ship, which was a Norwegian seal hunt boat, the former polar ship owned by a Danish shipping company called Lauritsen. This Norwegian ship was a little smaller than the ones we got the two next years. The reason we got bigger boats the next two years was that the Danish uh, owner of the shipping company felt that it was necessary with a Danish expedition that they should use Danish ships. Therefore, he offered us one of his bigger boats for that and offered us a price which we were able to pay. But really, it was a ship which nearly should cost maybe half a, uh, half a time more than what we had paid for the first year. And this meant that we got ships from this shipping company for two more seasons. The Lauritsen boat we got first, the bigger one, we got then in '69. And then the last year we had the Lauritsen boat, that was in 1970. These two boats we got were bigger and more comfortable than the one we got in the beginning, but still it was the same basic equipment. All the mapping work we did in the Scorsbyson region, we were able to compile 16 geological maps in scale 1 to 100,000. When I say in scale 1 to 100,000, it must be taken with a knowledge about the detail we were able to do in the East Coast mapping. That was different, very much different from what we did in the West Greenland, because in West Greenland, we were able to walk more or less over the complete ground and cover this in much greater detail than we were able to do in, in East Greenland. So therefore, our 1 to 100,000 maps in East Greenland are not as detailed as the 100,000 maps on the West Greenland. In 1970, we had an overall impression of Greenland geology so that we were able to publish a map of all of Greenland in scale 1 to 2.5 million. And at that time, GEO was really having a, a, a fantastic situation internationally because knowledge about Greenland geology was widespread in Western European countries and in Northern America as well, Canada, USA. And you know we have a, a, a book. The book is called The Geology of Greenland. This was published then in the 1976, being edited by two of the people who are still here. Stuart is still here, Arthur is in Switzerland, he became professor in Switzerland at Lausanne University. All the people who have been cooperating with TGU for a number of years supplied information for this book. And this book has still fantastic value, I think. I'm Julie Hollis, and you've been listening to Polar Podcasts. In the next episode, we hear more from Emeritus Professor Brian Upton about his early Greenland research when the theory of plate tectonics was first being developed. 